With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of It, Chapter 2. Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back. We'll come back to it. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. Chapter 2, and the story is as follows. In the sleepy town of Derry, the evil clown Pennywise returns 27 years later to torment the grown-up members of the Losers Club, who have long since drifted apart from one another. The film is starring James McAvoy, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa, J. Ryan, James Ransom, Andy Bean, and Bill Skarsgård. It is directed by Andy Muschietti, and it is written by Gary Doberman, join me for this podcast review. I have Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. And Cody Derricks. It's Halloween time. Is it? I feel like we're yes, like a month early. It is. September 1st. All right. First well, Halloween season. I did see that they have Oktoberfest beers now on shelves. So I suppose oh, yeah. that that counts. The pumpkin spice drinks are here. It's chapter two, the second part to the Stephen King It story. 
Uh, first, I want to start off by asking everyone before we dive into the second chapter what they all thought of the first one, because to my recollection, I don't think any of you were part of Next Best Picture when that film initially came out. So why don't we start off with Cody? What are your thoughts on It Chapter 1? <laughs> Uh, they are good thoughts. I love it. Chapter one. I saw it in theaters opening night and it, right in that screening. I knew this was going to be a future classic for me as somebody who consumes horror movies and every subsequent viewing since then, I found it more and more fun. It's one of those rare horror movies that is both genuinely scary and I don't get scared easily just because I watch so many horror movies, but it's also so fun the tone is perfect the screenplay is an amazing adaptation of this dense tome i don't know how they distilled that down to a you know normal length movie and the ensemble acting for those kids is like some of the best i so i really like the first one so i I was really excited for it chapter two all right all right katie well it is my favorite stephen king book i'm a huge king fan i uh love this book i've read it I don't even know how many times, honestly. And so I was nervous, excited about the about the original one. And I really loved it for a lot of the same reasons Cody did. I thought the acting is great. I was so excited to see Finn Wolfhard after really enjoying Stranger Things. And I was just blown away at how well they did with an adaptation. This book is almost impossible to adapt, I would say if you want to get it real close to the actual story, as we'll see when we talk about this one. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. I too got scared and I don't usually get scared in horror movies. And I think I've rewatched it four or five times, which is rare. I don't usually rewatch a lot of movies. So I also really enjoyed it and was very excited to see what they had, but also I had an it chapter two, but also a little trepidatious because I knew they were going to have to go deeper into the more complex part of the book. And I knew that that was going to be difficult to really hit with everyone. So I really enjoyed the first one, but I kind of knew that this second one was going to be a harder to thread the needle, we shall say. Okay. All right. Lauren, what about you? Unlike everyone here, I'm kind of new to the horror genre. I stayed away from it for a long time just because I get scared so easily. So when it came around, I saw it, I want to say like at two o'clock in the afternoon, it had to be bright with the sun shining when I got out so I could watch like friends to like make my mind get off it so I could sleep that night. But I thought it was a really good movie. I loved the kids in it. Again, I think it's a phenomenal ensemble piece and it shows what you can do together as a group of friends at that pivotal age. But I did think that that was Bill Skarsgård's movie as Pennywise. I thought he knocked that role out of the park. And I was super excited to see him return to this role because I think he's the perfect fit for any person of his generation to play Pennywise. I thought he was cast perfectly. And I think the casting throughout both of these films is phenomenal. And it makes me very angry about the casting not being a category in most of the award circuits till to this still to this day but i loved it one it was fun it was funny but also scary and it did harp on some of those themes that definitely were much more prominent in the chapter two but i had a great time and i was really excited when this when it chapter two was officially going to be made i was very excited and i was and i thought i have to see this opening night because i really wanted to know where these guys were going i really love it chapter one I thought it was one of the best big studio horror movies to come out since The Conjuring. And I was like, 
all about this whole rated R Stranger Kids Stranger Kids, Stranger Things vibe <laughs> that it gave off. And I love that it was going to be a uh, two-parter precisely because I thought it had the potential then to tell an overarching uh, story that would have something very meaningful to say and also enough time given to it to say it. And I thought the acting was wonderful by the child actors Everyone involved, there was a degree of style with the film in terms of its practical sets, the makeup, the sound work, the music. It was just a really, really well-crafted horror film. I don't think it was my favorite one of that year, if my memory serves me correctly, but I really genuinely did enjoy it a lot. So now, with It Chapter 2, we've got this adult grown-up cast starring Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, a bunch of others. And, of course, Bill Skarsgård's returning as Pennywise, as is the young cast, as they are woven in through these uh, different flashbacks throughout the movie. And the movie is also nearly three hours long, <laughs> where the first film was about, what, 2.15, 2.12? Yeah, it's exactly 2.15. Yeah, so 2.15, and now this one at a robust two hours and 49 minutes long. The question is, taken as a whole, does the story of it fully, fully work from Andy Muschietti? Is that how you say his name? Andy Muschietti? I think so. I think it's Muschietti. Muschietti? It's a very that fun way right, to say yeah. it. <laughs> Muschietti. He kills the bad guys. Um, maybe it's Mus- Muschietti? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> this version of it I think is one that I like the parts of it. No, actually, no. Let me reverse that. I think I like the whole greater than the uh, the little individual parts, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, as an adaptation of Stephen King's novel, I genuinely do believe that this works. But there are a few prob- uh, problematic elements within that adaptation and I think they are all mostly contained in this second film. Yeah, I mean, like Katie said, the challenge of this one, I haven't read the book, but I kind of vaguely knew going in sort of the crazy cuckoo bananas mythology stuff that's in the book. Um, so I was hesitant and nervous to see how that would work. And I actually think that shockingly works best. I think they kind of distilled it pretty nicely to like a cinematic language and a visual storytelling angle. It's aspects of trying to capture the first one that I had a little bit of an issue with personally. Yeah, I think that there's King's King's work is always difficult to adapt because so much of his work is set in in the internal mind. You know, you hear it from his character's perspective. There's not a lot of, there's not as much dialogue. It's it's a difficult thing and this one in particular because so much of that book is about setting this very deep world so that you have a perspective on what these kids are facing and you get a much richer look at their internal and uh, home lives and all of this and so that's great for movie makers because you can pull so much from it and I think that's certainly what they did almost all of the scenes in this book all of the little stuff that happens is based in material in the book. They changed some of it, like how exactly it all works, but it felt a little Harry Potter-esque at times. Like, 
okay, well, I wonder if this would be coming out of nowhere for people who haven't read the book. But for someone who's read it, it's like, oh, I see what you're doing here. I see how you're changing this. So that's kind of what I was wondering is how well does this movie hold up for someone who doesn't know the deeper backstory of what's going on here? Because there is a lot of stuff that is a little crazy, but that makes total sense in the book. Like in the book, it's all logical progression. But in the movie, it seemed a little kind of comes out of nowhere. At certain yeah. Points. Like yeah. I said, I haven't read the book, but I knew that some, some of the mythology going in just from like you know, cultural osmosis. Right. And I right. that was why leaving my first thought was like, oh, the public is going to hate this movie, especially if they like the first one. Well, yeah. let me put it to you this way. This is the thing that annoys me about the mythology aspect of this movie. And I'm willing to go into full-blown st- spoiler territory here. Okay, thank God. All right, so... <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to talk about this movie without it. Yeah, yeah because yeah. what really upset me a lot about this film, and, you know, there are things... I'm going to just preface by saying there are things about this that I really, really like and really enjoy, but then there are other things that just frustrated me to no end. And the main issue with this movie can all go to its runtime, which is both a blessing and a curse for this film because it's a blessing. We get excellent character development, but it's also a curse because it actually impacts several other issues in the movie. And I do believe that this movie is divided into ultimately three acts, which most movies are obviously, but I think they're very clearly definable here. The first act is just, this is Michael from Derry Mm -hmm. and he's just calling everybody. (laughs) And we're getting these glimpses into who everybody now is 27 years later, right? And then everybody comes together. That's act one. Act two, everybody splits up and goes on these individual journeys to find their uh, tokens from their childhood, which either they instinctually know or they don't know and they just happen to come across it. I have no idea like what determined how they knew which tokens they were supposed to actually get for this. I had the same question. Katie, yes, is I that know. how it is in the book? Um, like, are there's those tokens no tokens. The same? Okay. <laughs> there's no tokens. Like, all of the Native American stuff is not a big part of the book. Um, it's referenced at certain points, but none of that really happens. Um, they do come, when they come back to Derry, they do go wandering around. But in before that, the book has set up those scenes previously with their younger selves like they are all going back to places where they met pennywise this is only getting worse now because the movie spends a great chunk of time separating the characters and they all go on their own personal uh character arcs to confront the trauma of their past which then is going to be used to defeat pennywise in the third act and then in the third act it doesn't actually work it doesn't even matter so what was the Mm -hmm. point of everything that came before, and I wouldn't have so much an issue with it if you weren't wasting so much of my time at nearly three hours long. But then the way they actually do kill Pennywise, I thought made much more logical sense, was much more thematically compelling, and that part of it actually worked for me, along with the visual spectacle and you know the technicals uh, that were involved in this and so on and so forth. But I just kind of like was very frustrated with how much the movie disregarded everything that kind of like came before yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, that was me in the beginning. Like, cause I think the second act when they're all separated is the weakest part of the movie, like by far. And I think me going into this again, as a non book reader of this giant Bible of horror or, and doesn't, and I didn't really know, know the mythology of it going into it. I did think like, it's just kids finding the clown, but I knew it was more like a boggard from Harry Potter. So I knew there was like a magical element to it. But once 
I went into this movie wanting to see the losers together and wanting to see them fight Pennywise. So when I was watching them separated for a good chunk of time, like it wasn't just for like 20 minutes, it was a long period of time. It wasn't selling me and it was making me frustrated. So when they finally got together and then one would leave and then they would, it took maybe like a good hour and a half, maybe even two hours for them all to get back together. And that's where I think the movie finally started picking up for me. Yes. And I think part of that is because there's six of them have to go do this. So we have to spend yeah. time with yeah. all of them having this same experience that in reality is all happening at the same time. Well, it's like in the beginning when Mike Hanlon is calling him up all on the phone. This is Mike Hanlon from Derry. And, <laughs> and it repeats six times, you know, <laughs> and we, we got to go through it in, in, in this order. And then we got to go through it again in the second act where we got to touch upon each one of them individually all over again. And it's like, I get that that's the film's structure, but I, I feel very strongly that there was a way to condense this a bit more and make this a little bit more tighter because here's the other issue, too. They want this movie to be long to ruminate on the themes of confronting trauma, right? And my issue with that is we kind of already did that with It Chapter One. That was the big theme of that movie. They confronted trauma as kids. Now they got to do it as adults. And I don't know if It Chapter Two differentiates itself enough to explain anything new about that theme to its audience. I feel like it's all just a retread of stuff that we already covered. Well, I think here's, in the book, it's all about how if you forget and force your trauma down that you experienced as a child, you're going to have to face it again as an adult. But the problem with this movie is that it feels very disjointed in some ways from the first movie because it doesn't feel like the setup in the first movie is there to tell the sto help tell the story of the second movie because if those if we were going to see them face like say in the first movie we saw them all face these individual horrors and then in the first the second movie we then see them all be forced to go back to reface these horrors as adults that i think would have worked a lot better because then you there's much more thematic um wholeness you know there's a line mm -hmm. that runs through and there isn't that now they're just going and doing random things that don't really feel like they're contributing directly to the story. It just kind of feels like a side bit that's happening. And so I totally agree with Lauren. At that point, you're like, okay, come on. Let's get all back together. Let's see what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I totally enjoyed the runtime of the movie, but I'm a person who really likes backstory. But yeah, I felt like there was just so much missing from this that the emotions that it's asking from you aren't quite earned you feel like they should be earned but they're just not there i agree i think my biggest issue with the movie kind of tying what we're all kind of agreeing on is an issue um you know the runtime the thematic sloppiness i think what happens i mean i'm maybe i'm projecting but it seems like they were so desperate to capture what made the first one great, which is the ensemble of children, their amazing chemistry, the fun element of it, that they couldn't just focus on the adults. And I kind of wish that they just made this movie about the adults because the first one is just about the kids. And they are kind of hampered by the desire to keep flashing back to the kids because what made the first one so great, but it isn't really important to this movie. It's kind of just like previously on it almost it it really makes it a little bit scattered there's not that narrative 
cleanness and focus that the first one has that makes it so enjoyable and easy to watch. And I I wonder if that's because Kerry Fukunaga is not involved in this one at least as heavily, and he had a screenwriting credit on the first one. He almost directed it. I think he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he, he was. Not credited in either department, obviously, on this one. And I wonder how much of the magic of the first one was owing to him. Um, Same. Yeah. And I think the padded runtime is because of that. Because they have to, they're so desperate to capture what made the first one special that they have to spend an extra 45 minutes with these kids. Now, did you guys notice that the kids, because I had no idea while watching it, but I was told afterwards that the kids were apparently de-aged using CGI. I did not notice that. And nope. you know what? I was watching it. I was like, wow, they must have filmed this like back to back with the first one. That's what I thought, too. Especially looking at them. Yes. Yes. But you could, you know, what betrayed it for me um, that they were older was the height and Georgie. Jesus Christ. That was the most <laughs> obvious one. Oh, like, I didn't when even in notice the, that. But oh, when they're funny. in the cellar, like because children that age you know, like from the one year's age difference and they look dramatically different. And so I'm watching it. I was like, oh, that they really had did have a long time between this because that kid looks way older. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But one thing that they definitely did get right with this, and I'm going to come back to another criticism I have on the film later on, and I think it's maybe my biggest criticism of all. But I want to just, since we're sticking with the cast here, I want to just highlight uh, something that I think we can all maybe agree on, which is, the casting, I think they got so right with these adult actors mm-hmm. playing these particular kids. I mean, I this is this is just impeccable casting. I think we all kind of said it when it was initially announced, yeah. but seeing it mm-hmm. in action in the movie, like, oh my god, the, the combined casts of the kids and the adults from both parts, it's one of the best like ensembles I've seen in a movie since maybe like say, J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, you know? Yeah, I can't think of a better example of casting people who look and can adopt the affectations and mannerisms and act like their younger counterparts in a movie that has um, a generational divide. It looks even ben, unbelievable. Even Ben, who even undergoes ben. a huge physical yeah. transformation, I still... He's still th- the same face. He has the same face. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah and- like, that's the same person. Mm-hmm. James Ransom acting of Eddie is so spot on. Mm-hmm. Just so spot on. And Bill Hader is... Uh, so He feels like a grown-up Richie. It it's even, so works. Yeah, even little things like there. I checked afterwards, and all the actors within about four years are kind of in the same age range. Like they would all be in high school at the same time in real oh, life. Perfect. And um, but like <laughs> the way that they lead their lives causes them to like age differently. I don't even know if this is intentional, but like Eddie, like this sounds shady, but it's just true. Has like more wrinkles than Ben. You know, he he lives a more stressed out life. So it's even little things like that is just really unbelievable from the casting department. And, you know, the film does like kind of, I think, rush a little bit in its intro to kind of get us up to speed on who these people are 27 years later. I wanted more of that exploration. You know, some of it's very, very natural. Like Ben has lost a lot of weight. He's a successful architect. Um, James McAvoy's character, Bill, is a offer whose work He's is Stephen King. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on. Let's just say what it is. Okay, fine. He's Stephen King, which he has a scene later with uh, Stephen King, which that cameo is amazing. Yeah, it was great. so amazing. It, it, I was gonna say it was really good, but it, it almost it almost teetered into 
like extremely campy wank the eye at the audience territory to the point that I almost was like did we really need this do we really need this actor though I was impressed well he's he's had cameos before yeah yeah yes he's great I would I would rank this as his second cameo for me he's first will always be maximum overdrive well what about in pet cemetery he plays the um the priest who presides over the uh that's great but his scene in maximum overdrive is amazing when the he honey this machine just called me an asshole (laughs) (laughs) and uh peter bogdanovich has a cameo in this i thought that was him and then later when he just said peter i was like oh yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) great I was really like I was really enjoying a lot of that. I just wish we had more time, you know, to kind of spend on like especially like Eddie. I love that Eddie was like dealing with like an overbearing mom as a child. Now he has like an overbearing wife and he clearly like married his mom because he was such a mama's was boy. And I heard it was it the is. same actress. I it thought is. So. it is. Oh, man, it's That's so cool. Hilarious. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, I heard that over like on the Internet that it's the same actress that plays Eddie's mother and Eddie's wife. Oh, that's that. that is a great little the touch. Casting. Unbelievable. Like across again, like there needs to be like an awards category. Casting. Yeah, there needs yes. to be one. And now, uh, Katie, with what happens with uh, Stanley, I'm I'm going to take a wild guess and say that happens in the book as well. It does happen in the book. He oh, that's really write, sad. He does not write the letter, like, and it is it is not implied that it is for the same reasons. Stanley kills himself because he's terrified. And in the book, he has the same as a child. He has the same hesitancy and anxiety about the whole thing. And he does not remember as an adult. He just, his immediate reaction to the phone call is to go and kill himself in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so there is no Stan in the movie. And I was wondering, I was like, are they going to do this? Are they going to, are the deaths going to be the same? Yeah. And they are. Yeah, they are. And they're, they're done about as well. So wait, wait, wait. So back up for a minute here then. Um, Cause like I said, spoiler, spoiler territory here. Uh, you're telling me that Eddie dies in the book as well. Oh yes. In the same way. Uh, not in the exact same way, but um, he dies more heroically in the book. He dies uh, sacrificing himself. He shoves his arm into the it creature's mouth and sprays his thing down into its gullet and then it proceeds to eat his arm, and then he dies of blood loss within about thirty seconds. So, so he dies like like Georgie and losing his arm like that, right? Yes. Oh, that's yes. that's pretty cool. Okay, yes. so problems. <laughs> I, I got some problems. <laughs> and take a deep breath in. I also want to, after we go through the problems, say the things we liked because I did yes. like this movie overall. But yeah, I no, 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 no. I, I, I have ever, I have ever things to highlight as well. I'm with you okay, on that. <laughs> I just, I just really, really want to get this out of the way yeah, because no, we talked about the cast and everything. So there's a scene in the beginning which I've seen a lot of people write about, and I will throw my hand up in the air and I will say for the record that the scene definitely was unsettling. It was extremely uncomfortable. It was horrifically over the top and it reminded me a lot of the scene in the first film where uh the bully kenny bowers i think his name is right henry 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 bowers Bowers, gotcha um he like carves an h into uh ben's uh stomach and i just remember watching that and thinking this is so disturbing and so over the top that i almost don't find it believable uh, but I understand thematically what the film is trying to get at here and what Stephen King is trying to say. So 
considering that this opening scene comes directly from the source material and is also fitting in with uh, that similar kind of a feeling I got from the first film, I thought to myself, okay, that was very upsetting and I didn't really like it. And I don't even know if I like it as an intro to this movie, but I will let it slide for now. Here is the biggest issue of all. I do believe that the film wants there to be some connective tissue with that opening scene and then what is revealed later on in the film between uh, Richie and Eddie's characters. But at a three hour runtime and with so much going on, I believe that that connective tissue is lost and I don't believe that the two scenes perfectly um, complement each other as well as they should. And in the end, I'm left with... All right, you kind of put us through this really traumatic and really awful scene. And for what? So I, like, as a gay man myself, I was prepared for the scene going in because I knew it was in the movie and the book. Uh, So I, I actually kind of appreciated it, the opening scene, because it kind of ran as a nice parallel to the way that Mike's parents are, we're told that they die in the first one, which is at the hands of, um, I believe he, it's, it's part of like a racist hate crime. It is. is that correct? Yeah, okay. they're both burned, um, I believe, yeah. in the uh, in their home, right? So yeah. that ties in nicely to the theme of what I think it is going for in general, which is kind of pointing out to the audience in the real world that it is way easier to look at evil when there's a menacing clown pulling the strings behind it. But why can't we look at that evil with the same like cut and dry? This is good. This is bad in the real world when there's a hate crime or something like that. So I always, I I appreciated the scene because it really just drove that point home and reminded the audience that this is a tale of trauma and hatred and how that poisons the world. Yeah. Like I said, thematically in terms of the story, I, I, I get totally what it is that they're going for. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't think it completely pays off because I don't think this movie as a whole is as interested as the first one in exploring trauma, inherited trauma, how that affects you down the road when they could have. And that ties back to how overwhelmed I think they are by, you know, trying to recapture the first one that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And what you were saying about it not paying off with the Richie character who, again, we're doing full spoilers. So why not? It kind of, it's proved that he is um, queer to some aspect and always had a, a, a crush at the very least on Eddie. And it, it is not paid off with the opening scene. Like there's no, there's no reason First of all, I don't know why. I mean, I can't speak for this individual character's experience, but why a movie set in 2016 would have a character have any hesitancy to this tight-knit group of friends who are going through this crazy experience together, why he wouldn't at least mention, especially to Eddie when he's literally dying, (laughs) that he has some sort of... uh, He loves him to some degree. And also, I really think they missed the chance to tie in a fear that Richie would have based on the hate crime at the beginning as a queer person himself that would further his reluctance to go to Derry. They don't even mention that at all. And I think that's a really a big missed opportunity. I agree. I felt yeah, that's a good point. So complicated about that aspect of it. Cause Richie is not gay in the book. Okay. I was going to yeah. oh, really? Okay. Yeah. No. Oh no. Richie is not gay. Oh, Richie. so they so tried, they, they tried to add this in. Then. Okay. Yes. My, cause my thought was the book is that, in the 80s, I believe. Yes. The, the adult part, at least. So that was still a time of reluctance when it comes to coming out. Not that it is not a time of that anymore, obviously. But 
I think this specific experience, it would be a little unrealistic that the Richie character would still keep that a secret all the way to the bitter end. Especially so. as a stand-up comic. Exactly. He's not, like he's not right. like a tax accountant in you know nowheresville. Right. He's Arkansas. not a cowboy I mean, Montana he's in the entertainment industry. Exactly. So. Right. We're gay. We're being gay is not as or, like or even or if he said it as like a part of this like you know crazy experience that went through together just to this small group of people. If he opened up to them, I think that would still have been a better payoff and really justified why that's in the movie because as it is now. There really is no reason except for Pennywise to say, I know your secret, which is like a little bit icky. And here's my question is, did they include that part because the beginning of the movie includes a pretty horrific gay bashing scene? And so this is their like, oh, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't mean it. We're okay. It doesn't pay off at all. Maybe don't do it at all then. Yeah, I feel right, like or, that was the point for Richie to be gay to makes that scene much more valid and say, okay, it's pe- queer people are still afraid to come out because these things do happen. And I, yes, of course, yeah, and that's true. And I agree with that. And I see why queer people still would be afraid to come out, especially in a small community. But again, with the runtime and then you know having the scene and then not talking about it for the rest of the entire movie. Exactly, like what Cody said, like if they yeah. mentioned that there was you know this. This gay couple that got brutally murdered in Derry, if I was rich, I'd be like, eh, maybe I think I definitely want to leave. That would make so much more sense. And he does and, then, and he does want to leave, but we never get the mention of that as being the driving force or reason. And like I said, with a exactly. two and a half hour gap in between uh, that opening scene and this revelation at the end, you almost kind of forget about it, you know? It's like the film wants to pull like a like a, aha we got you like look a twist and doesn't yeah, this book end the movie just fantastically and it's like no it doesn't that's a very old fashioned twist too I really think we're oh, beyond God. that point so in 2019 to have a movie pulling that as like some sort of extra emotional layer between him and Richie I don't even know at that point because again to include that opening scene and then have it not tied into Richie's uh, queerness identity is strange Weird. it's bizarre it's really it seems poorly thought out well they were telegraphing the richie being gay from about oh yeah to i, I don't know like halfway through the second act yeah, i would say I, I, I call that and i'm, I'm yeah, always looking out for gay at... characters but i, I call <laughs> me that. too that's yeah. i was like oh okay we're going here and i was like oh is he is he into eddie is that what's is that what we're doing here and then yes yes, yes. it is so it was just, I, I don't know. I, I'm all about adding gay characters to stories to have more representation and to make the story more complicated. But the, for me, the biggest problem with it is the fact that the movie doesn't own it. He doesn't come out. He doesn't. He makes a minimal amount of progress in accepting himself and being open about who he is. And therefore, the message of the story of that, you know, you should be okay with who you are and live your best life and all of that falls flat because Richie doesn't do that. Right. Because if this character can't share that with these people in this moment, he's never going to, which is like a bummer. (laughs) Right. And so it feels very, like you said, old fashioned. It feels like, you know, a token and that I don't want that. If you're giving get, just give me a token, then just keep it, keep it. No. Yeah. And for me with like queer representation, like, 
the queer character doesn't have to be like just their sexuality in order to be like a cool queer character for me. Like they could be, you know, fighting a clown and also be gay, but they have yes. to make progress with, especially with someone who's in the closet like Richie is. They have to make some sort of a progress within themselves to be, you know, for that queerness of them to be represented in film to be worthy of it. Because if not, then they're just then it's there's no point in mentioning, oh hey, we're including a gay character, like we're we're cool like that. Especially when to... we spend so much time with this kind of lame, like, yeah. triangle between Ben and uh, James McAvoy. And oh, it's Bethany. so lame. I, I really... It's I, so it, overwrought. I really it did not shitty. enjoy it at all. Um, I knew it was coming, too. That was a really shitty part about it. Was like I was like, I know it's going to be in the movie just based on the setup from the first film. But I thought it was one, another thing that kind of got bogged down due to the runtime. They have, like, a scene or two here and there that kind of plays with it. And it just feels like it doesn't get the time that <sighs> it, it's one of those things where it's like it even needed to be cut out completely or it just needed more time to develop. Exactly. And I think that's what the first movie does so well. The first movie claims the parts it wants from the book and leaves everything else behind. It does not kind of wishy-washy like, oh, we'll just include little bits. Like mm-hmm. it picks exactly what it wants and then it laces in new story and that's why it's good whereas this one feels like it kind of like it harry potter's it where it wants to include little bits and pieces for the fans you know so it has it it isn't brave enough to just cut that whole love triangle between ben and bill and bev like just either do it because in the book bev and bill fuck like it is it is much more intense in the book and so therefore it's interesting, but in this, it's just kind of wishy-washy, and it's like exactly. It's like, why did you and include this part? And that's what's so hard about adapting a piece, especially you know, a two thousand page Bible of a source material. Like, it's very hard to condense all of those pages and all those stories into you know a two hour and fifty minute film. Right. Even though it's a long film, it's we're still condensing a lot of that story into what we're getting. So you need to know as the screenwriter, as the director where to make cuts and where it's necessary to make cuts and what the film needs to be and, you know, where things need to be let go. Even though it's important in the book, sometimes it's just not necessary. Totally agree. Speaking of also not necessary, you know, one of the other things, too, that also, like, kind of upset me a little bit in the opening of the movie, especially, was I think it kind of makes a little bit of sense, you know, given the theme of it, uh, facing down uh, traumas that you had as a child, uh, also facing them as an adult. It makes a little bit of sense to me that uh, Beverly would be in another abusive relationship as an adult, uh, this time with her uh, husband, as she was with her uh, father as a child. But something that also kind of like just really upset me about this, uh, and like I said, the movie just kind of got off on the wrong foot with me, I suppose, with that opening scene and then this establishment, is she's the only character of the Losers Club who is having like any horrific uh, violence like inflicted upon her. And I just really got this impression after the, you know, the gay bashing scene in the beginning and then this uh, brutal scene, which once again is played, I think a little too over the top. I kind of got this feeling that the movie was just being nasty. Um, And I'm like, why are none of the men like uh, experiencing stuff like this? Uh, For example, doesn't uh, Mike Hanlon have like substance abuse problems in the book? Uh, no, it's not ever directly mentioned. He, he, 
No, it is not like that. Okay, because I overheard somebody talking about that and that like there was other opportunities to maybe show some more darker elements of the uh, adult versions of the men. Oh, yes, and there are. Yeah. And, and so where's where's the balance there? Right. And Bev's situation. And and here's the thing is with that storyline, he follows her. So, like, he is a big part of the book, her her husband. Well, I'm really glad they didn't do that then, because that would have just me annoyed too. the crap out of me. <laughs> well, in the book, it works. In the book, it totally works, and everything flows together. So, but they just cut all that out in the movie. And it's another example of, like, should you either cut it all or keep it in, because otherwise it feels cheap. And- well, here's something they should have uh, – okay, so maybe, maybe – that was given to the Henry Bowers character then uh, as someone who follows the uh, Losers Club uh, to Derry and is just a fucking nuisance in this movie. I have no idea what purpose he served to this particular movie. I don't know why they couldn't have just cut him out completely from this. It was so pointless to me. He's there to keep a he, he's supposed to keep somebody at the at the so that they, they don't go down into the. Into the sewer. That's what he was supposed to do. What? And then they just didn't do that. Then they just did not do that. And that's what I was expecting. I was like, okay, great. We're going to see some real shit here. And then, no, he's just done. And you're like, well, again, why is he in the movie? Why yeah, there's enough he- conflict as is. It really, yes. really also warm my patience. No, I, I was really like, I was like, why are we dealing with this? Like, can we please just, I hated this character in the first film and I thought they perfectly dealt with it then. Can we just like get on with it now, please? It was really, really increasingly frustrating for me. Now, to balance all this stuff out, um, as I was saying before, I think the cast is really, really good. <laughs> I think Bill Hader is terrific in this. Yes. I think Jessica Chastain is terrific in this. I think James McAvoy, well, he's he's there, you know? Good, yeah. He's he's just there. McAvoying <laughs> <laughs> around. I, I catch him, like, slipping on the accent a couple times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little Scottish there. Got a little Scottish. Uh, James Ransom as uh, Eddie. He's great. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bill my MVP. And, you know, Jay Ryan, Jay Ryan looks pretty, you know? He does. I thought I, it was I like, had oh, they had laugh. the ab scene. I had to laugh at the scene where he was getting it. Of course, he's the one getting the name carved in his beautifully chiseled yes. abs. <laughs> <laughs> and you, know, you know how they have to No, do don't that. make me show that off. <laughs> like, like they, uh, when they do that, they have to, like, dehydrate for a day so their muscles really pop. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh. Well, that's great. That poor guy had to just like, all right, well, I guess we're fasting so I can show off this beautiful ab. And I was yes, like, the Hemsworth diet. I was I like, I mean, I appreciate it. And once again, know. I think Bill Skarsgård is just perfection. I, I, I love his performance as Pennywise. I just love how weird it is. Yeah, I loved him in the scene um, where he gets that girl with the firefly. Yeah. We see a new side to him there where he plays like a really, you know, manipulative angle that we didn't see at all in the first one. And it's really amazing. Yeah. I love like those that made me want more of Pennywise. I I do know that this film is much more about the losers overcoming their fear and, you know, growing up and giving into that and moving on as adults. But I do wish that there was more, you know, sadistic evil Pennywise that we got in the first one. 
the the best thing about the movie to me is every time Pennywise is on screen, every single time there is some sort of either him or like uh, manipulation of his. I I think crab Pennywise greatest yeah the leper all that the greatest strength of this movie and the first one is the extremely creative scares. It is yeah still really visually creative and inventive and um just all sorts of like playing with editing the Stanley Spider. Yeah, the, that spider when uh, he, um when he's chasing uh, Bill Hader in the town square and he uh, has the whole crowd like swaying in rhythm with his song, just like stuff like that is just <laughs> fun and scary. And I wish there was more of it. And that's why I have trouble with the m- parts of the movie that I don't like, which are both the returns to the children and the adults on their own little treasure uh, hunts because that's when all that stuff happens and that's the best part of the movie to me but at the same time narratively it's kind of pointless and tiring so I'm a little bit split there because I enjoyed the scares but I didn't enjoy the reason for them being there Yeah, I think they should have done what they do in the original it miniseries and in the book is if you want to tell this overarching complicated story then you need to have it happening in a parallel time frame like you need to have scenes with the children and scenes with the adults and it goes all the way through and it bill and you see the whole story unfold for both both sets of losers at the same time. So when the losers in as children go to fight Pennywise, the adults are going to fight Pennywise. And so there's this constant tension and they weren't able to achieve that in this movie because they're doing these flashbacks. And so the flashbacks feel totally out of place for me as well. I was like, I mean, the only way they could do that, too, and release it is uh, they couldn't release it as two movies. It would have to be one movie as well. It would be one six hour movie. Right. And that's kind of the problem. And I but think- I do think this film also could have worked without the kids. Ah. I think so, too. Like, exactly. I would have been fine seeing this with just the adults. If they had made a really strong divide like this is the kids movie, this is the adult yeah. movie. Yes. I like the flashbacks, though, with the kids, like the stuff in the clubhouse and everything. Yeah, we all loved the kids from the first one, so they can't not include it, but it makes the narrative messy. Right. And that's why it works if it's all happening at the same time. But it feels disjointed. There was a lot. I think that was that was the word of the movie for me was this feels very disjointed. Mm. Like they're kind of cramming little pieces together to make it work. But It's like the puzzle are using pieces of a different puzzles all like thrown in together. And so nothing quite fits and it's still pretty to look at at the end. Cause there was like, I agree. I had a lot of fun. I didn't feel like it was a three hour movie for me throughout the whole thing. I was entertained, but it just, the joints are loose, you know, nothing kind of fits together, but the individual pieces are interesting to watch most of the time. All right. Uh, let's pass it off now to any final thoughts that we have on the movie uh, It Chapter 2 that we have not already discussed. Cody, I pass it off to you first. All right. So um, I don't really have much more to add. Um, like I said, it's complicated for me to criticize the movie because the parts of it that I liked the most were also the parts that probably should have been cut, namely the kids' flashbacks and just the general scares in the second act. Everything involving Pennywise is great. Bill Skarsgård's amazing. The casting is amazing. But... I really miss the lack of unity in theme and narrative, which made the first one so special, especially adapting such a humongous book to such a streamlined movie. And that is completely missing from this one. All right. All right. Uh, Lauren. Yeah. um, I have a mixed feelings about it too, as well. I think the third act is fantastic. I love 
<clears throat> that whole sequence and I love the ending of it, but I think it takes time and a lot of time for Muschietti um, and everyone to find their footing with this film and exactly what they want to tell, which is why for me, the first and the second act are, you know, disappointing in one and, and makes me want more and made me, you know, sit through something that I didn't really want. So once I got to the third act, I was in and I was hooked. And I loved, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the monsters, everything. If you believe it's real, then it is real. So, you know, it's the power of belief and getting over your fear is what will kill the monster. But, you know, I went through a lot to finally get to that point. But again, I didn't feel the the time frame as well. I know I was entertained throughout. I don't know if I would watch this movie on like any given Tuesday and be like, okay, let's watch it too. I would have to actually, you know, sit down on and be like, okay, do I want to dedicate my entire time to this? But I do love that third act. I think that really makes it for me. And it's a, it's an all around good film, but it does. It's by far not a perfect film. Okay. All right. Katie. I wanted to go back and say that I just, again, that Bill Skarsgård is phenomenal and I cannot wait to see what else he does in the future because I think when you think of Pennywise the Clown before this it was Tim Curry and Tim Curry had an iconic performance and that is what a lot of people think of when they think of Tim Curry and I think he manages to separate those two and in this movie he cements it even more than he did in the first one with the length and breadth of the kind of terror he can um, inspire in people and I know that so much of that there's some CGI in it, but I know that a lot of it is just Bill Skarsgård. Like when his his eyes do that weird thing where one kind of drifts off, that's him. He's the one doing that, not the movie or not special effects. So I think it's it's a testament to a really great actor that even though we don't see as much of him in this movie, he is still, for me, the heart of what we're doing in this film. Okay. All right. Um, a couple of different uh, notes here before we go. Uh, first things first, that music cut of uh, Juice Newton, Angel of the Morning, was fucking weird. Oh, no idea what the <laughs> hell that was. I was yes. waiting for that to pay off, and then it just was truly nothing. nothing. Mm-hmm. Very, very bizarre. Didn't understand it. Um, what else here? I love uh, the reference of the line, let's kill this fucking clown. That was awesome. <laughs> really, really enjoyed that part. Uh, what else do I got here? Did you guys notice that there were two Meg Ryan references in this movie? Yes, yes. Definitely yes, did not go was, unnoticed. Yeah. Who, who two, loves Meg was... Ryan that much? Uh, me, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, who who loves it? Who's the person who was like, oh, yeah. we got to throw some Meg Ryan in here? Uh, probably the everyone. Poster, and there's the wig. <laughs> Uh, what else do I got here? You know, there's a reference a couple of times in the beginning uh, to Bill being an author and like how um, people didn't like the ending to his book, so they want to change it. I really like the ending to it a lot. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, I do believe that taken as a whole, part one and part two, I think the story uh, for this version for the screen really, really works. I really do. And it's amazing that it still works overall considering how many individual parts of it I I have, like, a complete dissatisfaction with. But taking, like, uh, part one, which I gave a score of an 8 out of 10 to, and uh, part two, which my grade is a 5 out of 10, and putting them both together in this case, um, it does produce a just slightly above uh, positive rating. And 
You know, I'm going to I'm going to hold to that. I think that the overall story of it and how they defeat Pennywise by belittling him to nothing and truly facing their fears as they do. I think all of that and just where the characters all end up at the end, I, I think it all just works. I really, really do believe that. So I'm at a five out of ten at the end of the day. Cody, where are you, where are you at? Okay, so I'm really split. I'm sorry. I'm sitting right between a six and a seven. And because I generally leave positive to this movie, I really do. That was my initial gut takeaway. And I, I skew positive for most horror movies in general because I just like them and I want to see more of them. So it's like a really weak seven or a really strong six. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll go, we'll go with strong six, if anything. Thank you. Okay. All right. Lauren? Yeah, so like before the third act, I would be it would be a hard six for me, but I really, really loved that third act. Again, once the losers are together, they're golden. And I think that entire third act where they're actually defeating Pennywise is good, and I really like that ending. So for that, that pushed me to the seven. It's not a strong seven, but it's still it's a solid seven for me for that third act alone. I think the third act saves the movie for me. All right, all right. Katie? I really love the last one. So, like I said, so I gave that one an eight, and this one just doesn't reach those heights for me. Okay, I gave this movie a, a seven out of ten, but I felt a little conflicted doing so. Okay, all right, well, ah, yeah, alrighty, cool, not bad, not bad. I mean, you know, not great, but not bad either. Yeah, I'm like I don't ever see myself revisiting just this part again. Like, um, I don't remember who said that before, but if I ever feel like doing a you know six hour <laughs> it watch, like you know, there's worse movies to spend your time with. Oh, I'll, I'll wait till uh, the, apparently Andy uh, Muschietti has said that he's going to do a combined version. Okay, that I would like to see because I think that like would iron Godfather out some of the saga? problems. Yeah, yeah, I would like to see that. If it goes yeah. more in the order of the book, I think that would really kind of clarify some things uh, with the focus of the movie. Release it on Netflix or something, you know? Yeah, I took my friend to see it last night, and he saw both it one like that afternoon, and then we went to the movie theaters to see it too, and he loved every second. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. I went right from watching it at home to seeing it in theaters, and it was fun. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, just one quick note. I actually don't think this will get any Oscar potential, but because the makeup category is now five nominees this year, I could see a chance of it landing on the shortlist for makeup and hairstyling. I really I, hope so. The first I one should so have freaking won. It's ridiculous. Horror makeup, I say this a lot on this podcast, but horror makeup does not get the respect it deserves for being so iconic to yeah. movie culture in general. And that scene with Bill Skarsgård where it's just like him and he's putting on the makeup... Was oh, really yeah. cool. That was so that was fun. Great. That was great. Love that. That was really, really awesome. I agree. And then, like when he goes around, and, like his eyes, he just scratches. Like it's fantastic. Yeah. So overall, uh, it twenty seventeen, very, very great. Stephen King uh, adaptation, great standalone horror film. It chapter two, a little bit more problematic, not as good as part one. Taken as a whole overall satisfying experience and definitely i mean in terms of just comparing this uh, one last thing here uh, to the original 1990 miniseries uh which which do you guys prefer now that you've seen both parts of it i went and i actually watched the it miniseries the night before i went to go see it chapter two because i'm podcasting about that tomorrow um and i gotta say they're not they're very different 
and I would say I, I kind of like them equally. Like it, chapter two or, or is more technically, technically it's much better, but they get a little bit of the story. They, the story is more cohesive in the miniseries, whereas in this, it's like I said, very disjointed. So it's worth a rewatch, but don't expect to be scared. It's not scary anymore. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, with that said, Cody, where can I find you on the internet? All right. You can find me all over the place, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at CodyMonster91. And check out my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HalloweenersPod. Awesome. Katie? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And Lauren? You can find me at the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of It Chapter 2 here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say: your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a hundred social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today! At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.